for the next hour or so, I'd like to invite you to grab your cup of coffee, tea, or caffeine-free A&W Diet Root Beer, if that's your beverage of choice, and settle in for the first of the return of Fiber Hooligan. For those of you who are wondering who the heck I am, I am the host. I'm your host, Benjamin Levisay. I am also the CEO of XRX Inc., home of XRX Books and Stitches Expos, and my pronouns are he and him. If you're tuning in for the first time, Fiber Hooligan is a podcast dedicated to bringing you interviews with the best of the fiber arts and makers world, including experts and designers in the crafts of knitting, crochet, spinning, weaving, as well as anything else that I think is interesting. I want to welcome the new listeners today. Thank you so much for tuning in and trying out the show. I hope you enjoy it, and I can't wait for us to get to know each other better. And, of course, I'd like to welcome back our Fiber Hooligan listeners who used to tune in to my original show many, many years ago. Your ongoing support means so very much to me. Well, folks, we're back. Um, it's a fun time in our in our world right now, and uh, I thought it was time to to reach out and talk to you again. Uh, you know, it's I, I hope you all have fun. Um, looking forward to getting feedback from you and uh, carrying on the conversation that we had so many years ago. Okay, my guest today is Laura Zander. Laura's pronouns are she and her. She is the co-owner of LYS and market-leading online retailer of yarn, Jimmy Beans Wool. Laura, along with her husband, Doug, worked as software engineers during the dot-com era in the San Francisco area. When they saw the dot-com boom turning to a bust, they decided to leave their jobs, move to their second home in, Lake Tahoe, in the Lake Tahoe area, and begin a new adventure by opening Jimmy Beans Wool. They started the business, which has been named four times to the Inc. 5,000 fastest-growing private companies in the U.S. list with a $30,000 personal investment and have since grown it debt-free into a booming operation. Laura is one of Ernst & Young's entrepreneurial winning women and was invited to the White House for a forum addressing American, the American Jobs Act, where Jimmy Bean's wool was recognized as a notable Nevada business. An innovator in the needle arts industry, Laura has created successful national profile campaigns such as Stitch Red, Stitch Mountain, and Beans for Brains. She authored and launched her first installment of three books series drawing awareness to heart disease through Knit Red. While not knitting or working, Laura spends most of her time on the ski hill, running, playing tennis, or relaxing with Doug and their 10-year-old son, Huck. Jimmy Beans recently acquired Namaste. Delacue, and Madeline Tosh, three beloved companies amongst knitters, crocheters, and makers. Jimmy Beans will continue to develop products under their parent patent-pending Jimmy Smart Sticks plus hooks, needles, and notions. Laura joins us this week to talk about all the things that she and her company are up to, as well as some of the challenges that businesses and creatives face in the world of the COVID-19 virus. Laura joins us today from Reno, Nevada. Good morning, Laura, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. You made me sound really fancy and accomplished. <laughs> well, you're you're very smart, so it's easy to do that for you. No, no, um, but I do work my butt off, and it has been almost 20 years. So it's amazing how many things add up. I was counting the stuff that you were saying, and I'm like, okay, well, that's about one every 18 months. So I'm doing all right. If I can do one thing every 18 months that people remember, then that's not too bad but it sounds a lot fancier than it really is. <laughs> you skipped all the parts about me crying in the corner of the closet and, you know, all well, the Well, we all breakdowns. have those days. That for, for me, I call that Tuesday. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's shower day for me. That's tomorrow. That's shower day. going <laughs> to happen tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So thanks yeah, for having uh, me, Ben. 
Well, thanks for being on the show. You were on the show uh, years ago. Um, things have changed since then. The world has changed. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really do want to get to it because there, there's some new listeners here that probably didn't listen to the show years ago. And so, so let's start like we started last time. Tell me your story. You know, how did, how did this all happen? Sure. How did you become you? Um, well, again, a lot of therapy, a lot of crying, a lot of nervous breakdowns, and a lot of wandering. Um, I grew up in North Carolina and went to four different universities, um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, got a degree in criminal justice, political science, started working on a PhD in sociology, and then I took a hard right, uh, or a hard left, I guess, um, and went into computer science, and I moved to San Francisco and became a software engineer, because that was kind of my favorite part of academics, was the statistical programming and the modeling um, and my father was a software engineer and had always tried to convince me that that would be good for me. But, of course, that's why I didn't do it for so long. Um, so moved to the Bay Area, met my husband, Doug, at my very first job uh, in 1997. So we have actually been working together since 1997. Even when we had separate, we worked for different employers, we would still do projects on the side together. It was pretty gross. Um, we also worked out together and we skied together. Um, so it was a pretty disgusting relationship. We were one of those couples and still kind of are in some sad way. Uh, so learned how to program, became a programmer, rode the whole dot-com thing back before Amazon was a thing, back before Zappos was a thing, and I ended up learning how to knit. I took a knitting class. Um, I had rugby practice on Tuesday nights and knitting practice on Thursday nights at Atelier on Divisadero, um, which is still open, uh, and Grace, the original owner, her niece, Amanda, runs it, runs it now, and it's a great shop. So learned how to knit, became super obsessed, was knitting all the time. And then, as you mentioned, the bubble burst, and it was the year 2000. Doug and I had just gotten married, and we were kind of trying to decide what we were going to do with our lives. We were, you know, I was 27, 26 at the time, and Doug was about 30. And we decided to move up to Tahoe because that's where we were spending all of our time anyway, and we had bought a house there. We couldn't afford one in San Francisco, so we rented in San Francisco and then bought, you know, a house with no heat that didn't have paved roads. So we had to ride our snowmobile into the house, you know, with our groceries. It was like the ultimate adventure. So moved up to Tahoe, wasn't sure what I was going to do, tried to start a little software development company of my own called Castle Peak Solutions and ended up building websites for people. And I, was, I failed miserably. Um, I joined the barter club, so I would barter for new windows. You know, I'd build somebody a site, and they'd give me new windows. Or I'd build somebody a site, and they'd give me candles for life. Um, and one of the companies that I built a site for with a partner of mine who did the graphic design part um, was an espresso cart manufacturer in Grass Valley, and then I built a website for Lorna's Laces, their very first website. I had seen an ad in a Vogue knitting magazine back in the day, 2001, and saw um, an ad for Lorna's Laces, and I saw that she had the same area code that we did. And so I called her, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you don't have a website. Can I, can I build you a website? Can I build you a website? And she he, uh, first said no, but then she's like, you know what, call me back in a couple months because maybe I might be ready for one. So I called her back. And she's like, yep, let's do it. So I went and I started to spend a bunch of time with Lorna Miser, what's her name, is her name. 
and would go visit her. She lived about an hour and a half away. And she, as I was building this site for her and falling in love with her yarn and falling in love with hand dye, um, she convinced me that I should open a yarn shop because I was kind of miserable. You know, I was by myself in the middle of nowhere. She's like, you should open a yarn shop. There's, there aren't any shops for miles and miles and miles, and you can make a great living. And so I came home one day, and I'm like, Doug, Lorna thinks we should open a yarn shop. And he's just like, well, figure out how much it will cost, and then let's talk about it. So I went and found a place, you know, found a place to lease and met up with Diane Susie, who was the designer behind Knitting Pure and Simple, and she had run the yarn section of a small um, variety shop for a while. So she taught me, she introduced me to TNNA, which is, you know, the, the yarn industry's trade organization. She um, introduced me to Brown Sheep, which was one of the first companies that I carried, introduced me to Bryson Distributing, who is a family-owned company in Oregon that distributes knitting needles and patterns, and then taught me kind of how to run a yarn shop. So I, and, you know, one of the themes, I guess, over the last 18 years now is that I always like to hedge my bets. So I try a couple, I'm very anti-commitment, except for Doug and except for Huck. Those are the two things. Um, But I uh, decided since I had built this website, Resto Cart Manufacturer, the, the owners of that company gave me a great deal on an espresso cart. So we decided that the shop, it was a little 500-square-foot shop in downtown Truckee next to the public bathrooms. We decided that it would be half yarn and half espresso, you know, and half coffee. Um, And, again, this is like 2002, so it's even, you know, this is early Starbucks days um, nationally anyway. And we thought, honestly, that the coffee is what was going to make it. So I thought I was going to have a coffee shop that would have a little bit of yarn on the side, and that would be kind of cute and fun. Well, it took about six months, and the boom of knitting had kind of hit. And our location, you know, being in a resort town full of second homeowners, I mean, this was not planned or intentional, um, but I got very lucky that it was the perfect place to have a really small shop because nobody really cared about coming in and spending time knitting. They just wanted to get their stuff, go back to their cabin, get a bottle of wine and some cheese, and sit and knit in front of the fireplace. So the knitting took over. I got rid of the coffee within a couple of months. Um, Doug and I launched a website, you know, pretty quickly. You know, it was in August that we launched it. And by the end of the first year, I mean, we'd probably gotten five orders. And it was very, very exciting. Um, It gave me something. We launched the website because we thought – given that we were in a resort community, there was, there's really no traffic on Monday through Thursday. You know, it's just us locals, and there were only 14,000 people in town. So we thought if we could get an order or two every day, you know, Monday through Thursday, then that would help with the rent and help with everything. And that's kind of how it happened. You know, we'd get actually, you know, I remember the very first time I got an order, um, it came through my little computer, you know, my big old huge desktop, and um, it came through email, and I'm like, well, Doug had obviously written it so that it would email me when I got an order, and I remember just completely flipping out. You know, I called Doug up, and I was just like, oh, my God, we got an order. We got it. Like, it was the weirdest feeling in the world. For those of you who are my age or older, I'm 45, um, it was a whole new world. Like, somebody gave us their credit card number. Somebody gave us their home address. Like, how creepy is that? Somebody gave us um, – 
they gave us all of their information and it was just, it was like really, really weird. So I called Doug up and I'm like, Oh my God, we got an order. We got an order. What do I do? What do I do? And he's, you know, he's from the Midwest. So he's got a very dry sense of humor. And he just says, uh, maybe you should fill it and ship it to him. <laughs> we laughed. Anyway. So one order ended up turning into five orders. You know, I remember us going home that day and just being like, can you imagine like, what if we got an order every single day, like every day, Every day there was an order, and eventually every day there was an order. And then one day we get five orders, and I'm like, can you imagine? What if we get five orders every day? That would change our lives. And eventually we got five orders every day, and then it turned into ten. You know, we got ten orders one day. And eventually, you know, we'd get 20 orders in a day, and Doug was able to quit his full-time job, you know, because he supported us in the beginning for the first couple years. He still worked full-time, worked on the site, and then I worked in the shop. So that's kind of the genesis, I guess, or the beginning of the shop. Um, So it was kind of exciting. And then it's turned into now we have, oh, my God, like 80 people that work for us. We have about 40,000 square feet. It's it's incredible. But it was a long time coming. It was a a really long overnight success. (laughs) Well, you know, and, you know, that and, you know, you grew, you grew and you grew and you grew and you were, you were adapting and you were trying new things. And, and then about 2020 or 2013 uh, rolled around. Can you tell me what happened around then? Yeah, well, we grew and grew. I got to um, go to the Emmys. We got lots of, I learned kind of the PR game. I learned that knitting, you know, in, in many of the business magazines, they're always talking about factories and high tech and cell phones and all this kind of stuff, but they weren't talking about knitting very often. So I thought that would be a great way to stand out. So I ended up getting a lot of press, um, you know, in the wall street journal and in the New York times and all kinds of fancy sounding magazines. So we grew and we grew and we grew. And then in about 2012, 2013, that's when we came out with stitch red which was, you know, our campaign to um, raise awareness for heart disease. We became the first ever yarn sponsor of the U.S. ski team. We moved into a much bigger place. We had 3,500 square feet in 2011 and then found a 20,000 square feet place for just a couple hundred bucks more a month, you know, so we decided to go for it. And then this rapid, huge 35 to 50% growth year over year just almost ground to a halt. You know, it became very flat growth. Um, and so we grew very slowly for a couple of years until about 2015, 2015 and 2016. Um, and then it just stopped, you know, the growth stopped and we realized that we had been kind of focusing so much on doing all these exciting, big growing things that, I don't know, we had, we kind of hired ahead of where we were. You know, we had hired some people that we should have waited probably five or ten years to hire. They were too advanced for us um, and just had kind of a hard time for a couple of years. Uh, the publicity all kind of caught up with us. And, um, and then in 2017, we had this big, huge flood that hit our location, and we ended up having to move or we chose to move. We loaded everything up into a bunch of U-Hauls in January of 2017 on a Friday and Saturday, moved it to dry land, and on Monday drove around to um, 
and our lease was going to be up in about two months. So we just decided, hey, we've already got everything packed up. Let's find a place that's a little more dry. So we found a place just down the street, moved in there on a Tuesday. Um, the place happened to be owned by one of the very first customers of ours back in 2002, 15 years earlier. So she let us move in really early. And we lost a couple months. Um, you know, we couldn't open our retail shop for a couple months. We had to put a you know, put something on our website that said, please stop ordering from us because we can't fill them because we don't know where anything is. We think it's in U-Haul number eight, but we're not really sure. So we lost a million and a half dollars, you know, over those couple of months. Um, and yeah, and then officially or unofficially, I guess, transitioned into survival mode, which is where we've been for years now. I mean, yeah, that it's... <laughs> You know, the last time uh, we were on the interview together, this had not yet happened. And, uh, you know, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. That's a heck of a loss for anybody to take. And, and uh, it sounds to me like you did the things you needed to do uh, for survival mode. Um, you know, so you, so you – let's talk about survival mode, right, what you went through. Yeah. What, what was the strategy for survival mode? Uh, I think the strategy – well, that's an articulate word for just trying to work as hard as I – trying everything. I mean, it's the throwing spaghetti at the wall in some ways, but you have to be really careful how much spaghetti you throw because you don't have that much. Um, it was just – it's been heads down, me working seven days a week as hard as I possibly can work. Um, you know, I've put on 15 pounds in the last few years. I'm uh, – traveling constantly and really just trying everything. You know, we had subscriptions um, and at one point, you know, we had 6,000 subscribers. So we were one of the, I think, you know, we were one of the first to do subscriptions back in like 2015. Um, so we would watch, you know, those 6,000 subscribers drop down to 5,000, down to 4,000, down to 3,000. So then, you know, because people would get sick of it. You know, it was it's exciting at first. And then, and if you look at any subscription boxes and the beauty industry and everything else, you know, there's this really um, sharp peak at the beginning. And then it, it drops off pretty quickly, you know, because of fatigue. People get kind of um, tired of it. The novelty wears off. So then we try a different kind of subscription. Then I went on HSN, you know, then I went, um, tried to do different partnerships. Um, survival mode, I mean, it was just getting creative. We started doing bouquets. So we started putting, you know, using glass vases and knitting needles for the stems and then yarn in the shape of a flower and thought, okay, so looking around at what everybody else is doing and trying to do something different. You know, and some of it works and some of it didn't. Um, trying to hire differently. You know, I went out and for the first time really tried to find people. I tried to, I found who was the woman who's our general manager now. Um, she had worked in a garden shop. She had run a home decor place and a home fabrics place for years and furniture. So finding somebody from outside of our industry you know, to kind of have new ideas and fresh ideas and somebody who knew a lot more than I did about merchandising and, and management. You know, that's where I really struggle is on the management side. Um, so, yeah, survival is just, like I said, it's a lot of, it's a lot of crying. It's um, not as many showers. It's, you know, we just had to cognitively decide 
look, I'm still going to exercise, but I can't do it the same way I did before. I don't have the energy, and that's okay. Like what's the most important right now is this business. And so if that means I need to spend seven days a week on this, then that's what I do for a while. And we'll get it to a point where it's running really well again. And that's where we're at now. It's starting to run really well again, which is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to see you. You're much more visible these days because you've been making some really interesting moves in the market. Um, can you talk about that, uh, the, the, especially the acquisitions you've made lately? Sure, yeah. Um, well, so part of the trying to stand out and survive and and figure all that out is we went to India and did uh, a couple years ago in the fall, and I took a couple of staff members with me. So there were three of four of us that went, and we filmed the whole journey. We called it Jimmy's Journey, and every day, you know, we would put little videos out and um, and post on social and stuff. And while we were there, a couple of key things happened. One, um, we really developed our smart sticks, which are knitting needles that have one-inch markings. Or if you're in Europe, they have centimeter markings. And that happened because we were in a car and I was knitting and almost done with something. And I'm like, ah, I don't have my tape measure. And Shannon, our general manager that I talked about, was like, oh, well, like, wouldn't it be cool if your knitting needle happened to also be a tape measure? Then you'd always have it with you. And so it just kind of went from there, and we happened to be in India, happened to be visiting Knitter's Pride, who make knitting needles. So while we were there, they made a prototype, and that began – that really started our kind of – this new wave for us of invention and figuring out that we could start to do things ourselves. And while we love all – we had never wanted to have our own yarn – we never really did our own thing because we were so loyal to all of the vendors and the suppliers that we work with. Um, and we, until just now in October, um, we've still held very steadfast that we don't want to compete with our suppliers. So nobody else had knitting needles like this. Knitter's Pride was already our supplier, so we felt very comfortable inventing something. We patented it. You know, and we got a taste for being able to do our own branding. You know, so we made up our packaging, we created the name, and it, we had so much fun with it, and it was so rewarding that while we were there, we were talking about um, we were talking about Namaste, which had been gone for a couple of years, and Kelly, who you know really well, had been a friend of right. mine. And when when she was about to shut down, you know, she and her husband got a divorce, and the company was owned by her and her husband and her husband's sister. So they, she had come to me and said, hey, can you, do you want to buy it? And at the time, we just couldn't. You know, we were in the middle of that kind of flat, you know, depressed period and couldn't do it. But now I had Shannon. Now I had a group of people that were, we were, had a taste for invention, if you will, and creation and and we were in survival mode, so quite frankly, in some ways, we had nothing to lose. So I, I texted Kelly, and I'm just like, hey, could we still buy this from you? I mean, I know there's no inventory. There's no website anymore. There wasn't really anything to buy other than the name and the reputation. Um, and so we came up with a deal. You know, we still pay, we pay her a percentage for the stuff that she had invented, like the buddy cases and the O-snaps. And, um, and then immediately – a couple months after being in India, we flew to China and met with Lin Lee, who had been working with Kelly for 15 years, you know, or from, from the very beginning. Um, you know, she's got 
a couple kids and her husband. And so Shannon and I went there and learned all about making handbags. It's the handbag capital of the world in Guangzhou. So it was really, really cool and gave us so much energy. And we had so much fun, like reinventing this brand, taking the best of what Kelly had put together and then spinning it just a little bit, um, you know, making a new logo, making a slightly different look and feel, just because it had been a couple years, and then creating some new designs um, of handbags. And so we um, we bought that, and we launched that, and it went really, really, really well. So when Della, about a year later, gave me a call and said, hey, you know, my lease is up in May, I don't, it's been 10 years, I've really loved doing this, but I think I'm ready to go back to the corporate world. She was an accountant, or is an accountant. Um, Would you be interested in taking Della over? And we thought, you know what, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Vietnam. This sounds really fun. Um, And we felt like with Della, you know, she had been running the business by herself for years. So she's doing all of the marketing, all of the logos, you know, everything. And it was exhausting. And now we had a big team where we could all chip in and it would be really fresh for us. So I immediately went to Vietnam. I met Lean, Miss Lean, who Della had been working with for 10 years, um, spent time with her family, and we just had a blast, you know, and went and found new fabrics and new designs and did the same kind of thing. We took Della's um, ingenious designs and then just edited them a little bit to give them a fresh new look. And then we changed the logo up just a little bit and changed the packaging up just a little bit um, and updated the website a little bit to be to tell some of the stories of the places that we had been in Vietnam. So that was just, well, I guess it's been a year. That was about a year ago. Um, and then around that time, uh, we found out that the owner of Madeline Tosh had been ill and hadn't actually been at work for almost a year. So they were having a really hard time, and we reached out and said, and that's, we sell more Madeline Tosh than anything else um, at Jimmy Beans. And so it's a very important brand to us, both emotionally and personally and financially. So, um, and we, we just love it. You know, we've loved that brand, and we've loved what they've done. So we, I sent them a note and was just like, well, you know, do you, are you interested in passing this off? I mean, we could buy it from you and take it over. Um, you know, our yarn sales for years have been steadily kind of going down and down and down as, I hate to sound like I went to business school because it didn't, but, you know, as there are more options in the world in the last couple of years, you know, the indie dyers can sell, are selling directly, which is great. The yarn shops, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't that many yarn shops that had websites. Um, now everybody has a website. So you can buy yarn online a lot more places. Um, you know, the irony is our in-store sales, we have a very healthy, we have like a 3,000 square foot shop as well, a retail store. And our in-store sales have grown and grown and grown. Um, more and more people are coming to visit us. But the yarn part of the Jimmy Bean site had been kind of slowly going down and down as the market has changed and as you can now find yarn on Amazon and you can get it on Etsy and you can get it everywhere. So we thought, well, you know, maybe maybe we could do it. I mean, it's 
Madeline Tosh was in Texas, or it is in Texas. Um, it's about 45 people. I, my dad lives in Texas. I lived in Texas for a while. I went to college there, so I'm comfortable. I know the language. Um, I can speak Southern. <laughs> I like the food, you know. could be worse. Um, so, yeah, so we eventually made a deal, and we ended up taking that over in October. And I've never worked like harder in my life. Yeah, because I know you're going back and forth. I'd like to talk about Madeline Tosh because that's a an interesting uh, decision, you know, for an LIS to uh, purchase a yarn line that's so popular. You know, of course, Madeline Tosh was having problems. Um, they uh, there was a partner that was sick, and and for those people that don't know, Madeline Tosh sold to both uh, the LYS community and uh, directly to consumers as well. I think that one of the things that's, you know, there's always insider baseball within the industry. I think that one of the things that was worrying people uh, most is that, you know, hey, boy, you know, these yarn shops, they carry Madeline Tosh and, you know, are are we going to be able to get it? Or, you know, is that now just a standard brand for, you know, Jimmy Bean's wool? And and I don't think that people have really heard how you're dealing with this because you've really tried to keep this something that favors the, the LYS community. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of – we had a one-day, um, you know, an all-day meeting a couple of weeks ago or about a month and a half ago now. Um, and to define what our mission is, like – you know, as a team, where do we want to be in a year, three years, five years, blah, blah, blah. And our mission is to use this brand, which we believe, narcissistically or not, or arrogantly or not, I guess, um, we believe it's one of the strongest brands in the country, if not in the world, in, of hand eyes. And our mission is to use this brand to strengthen the yarn industry. And there is zero doubt in my mind that the only way to strengthen the yarn industry is to strengthen the LYS. So the very first thing that we did, I mean, day one that I got there, we took Tosh off of Amazon. We, the prices had been, you know, the previous owners just had a different strategy. You know, they, um, they were working on reducing the volume that they were doing. Um, and so they had priced the yarn on the Madeline Tosh website below what the yarn shops were selling it for. So we turned around and priced it above what the yarn shops are selling it for. You know, and our messaging is don't buy it on MadelineTosh.com. Please don't. You know, it's going to take a long time for you to get it. It's going to be more expensive. You have to pay shipping. Um, Please go to your yarn shop. So after I bought it, you know, I spent the first few weeks obviously there, but then um, immediately went on the road and I went to Philadelphia. I went to New York. I went to, you know, Seattle, Portland, like, all over the country, Chicago, um, Wisconsin, and met with yarn shop owners to find out what were their frustrations. You know, what can Madeline Tosh do as a brand to drive more traffic into their stores? So we immediately started a um, biweekly, is that every other? I think that is, um, a biweekly newsletter to the wholesale shop so that when we come out with a new color, we're going to tell the, the yarn shops first. We don't put it on the website first and then hope potentially that the yarn shops find out about it. We tell the yarn shops, hey, we've got a new color. If you want it, you know, um, you've got a couple weeks to grab it, and then we'll start to promote it, and we'll tell people that you bought it, so hopefully they go to you to buy it. 
um, programs for you know sample knitting credit. We've put in programs for giving back. Um, We've, you know, put together a whole new retailer's guide. We've trimmed the number of colors down so that shops um, have a more curated collection. We created a small collection. Right now it's only 12 colors, but we're adding on that you can only find at a yarn shop. You can't buy them on MadelineTosh.com. And then we're sending those colors out to designers. You know, we have a whole handful of great designers who have jumped on board right away, Vicki Howell and Melanie Berg and Josh Bennett, um, all kinds of people. To And again, the messaging is drive this traffic to the yarn shops. Um, you know, we've been promoting different yarn shops through the newsletters and through social media. Yeah, uh, checking in with them all the time. But that's the priority. You know, we took one of the things I felt like I could uniquely bring or we could uniquely bring to Tosh is the yarn shop's perspective. Here are the things that frustrated us as a customer. And so if it frustrated us, then it probably frustrated other people. Um, We're not allowing any discounting of the yarn, you know, so it's got to be sold at full price. um, And that is our goal. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're just trying to do everything. We took a lot of feedback. We talked to the sales reps all the time to get their feedback on what's going on. And, you know, that's, that's the goal is what can we do to help strengthen the yarn industry through the yarn shops. Which is so important and, and something probably that we don't talk enough about. Um, you and I have had talks before about um, being good stewards of the industry and also believing that there is no such thing as a zero-sum game. Oh, absolutely. Not at all. It's rising tide, 100%. Yep. I absolutely believe that. Um, yeah, I mean, even if we all just maintain the same percentage and we grow the pie and we grow the knitting industry and get more people knitting, then we're all going to grow naturally. And that's my whole goal. Like, I want to grow for the sake of growing because that's just who I am. You know, I was a runner. So I just, you just simply want to run a little faster. You know, you want to improve. Um, but I don't want to grow at the cost of anybody else. I want to grow organically and naturally because the whole industry is growing, you know, if that makes sense at all. Oh, it it, it completely makes sense. Um, Short-term gains can be made by, you know, clipping off somebody else's piece of business, but it's not sustainable and it's, it's never, it's never really a success. No. And it's not fun. I don't want the short-term stuff. I want the long-term. That's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there you are. You've, you're you're doing all this stuff again. It's part of your your uh, your survival mode. Is survival? To, yes. Yes, to, to yeah. survive. Yes. Hey, so, you yeah. know, <laughs> flat is the new up. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, totally. You're, 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 yeah, right. So you're you're doing this thing, and you're starting to uh, do well, and and just what the economy needed. Um, we have a pandemic. Um, that, uh, you know, is, uh, it's been so good for the economy uh, already. Um, I'd like to have you talk about, you know, what you think, you you know, how the coronavirus has affected your business and also have you talk talk a little bit about, you know, how you're seeing your yarn LYS business and the businesses that work with you, how, how it's affecting them. Um, you know, it's very interesting. Um, I'm so many times over the, since I've been in this industry, I 
just can't express how grateful I am and how lucky I feel to have landed here, um, both in Reno, which is, you know, it's a smaller city. But, you know, we only have, there's 250,000 people, I think, in this whole area. Uh, there are many days, before this quarantine, I can't even tell you how many days I've had. I mean, I think I've been self-quarantining forever. Um, I've been social distancing for years Uh so, you know, my day-to-day is not really in some ways that much different than it's ever been. Uh, and, you know, I live with a big, huge field with thousands of or hundreds of miles of national forest behind me. So um, I feel very, very lucky to live in a town or in a city that is not super huge. It's not congested. It doesn't have a huge population density. Uh, but... Um, and I feel very, very lucky to be part of an industry that I got to say, you know, it's it's pandemic proof, you know, it's recession proof in some ways. I mean, I've, you know, as many of us have, we've been looking at the trends on Google. So if you go to trends.google.com and you type in how to knit, you see the big spike that's happening right now. So there is so much interest, you know, now that so many of us are at home and we're either working from home or we're furloughed. Uh, we've got some time to do the DIY stuff that has always kind of been interesting to us. Um, as far as, you know, our business in Texas, the Madeline Tosh business, of course, is uh, is not nearly as strong as it could be because so many shops are closed. That said, I text constantly, you know, every day I'm texting with a different yarn shop owner. Um, all around the country. I've probably got about 20 shop owners that I talk to pretty consistently and they're freaking killing it. Um, I have a friend who, it turns out she's a third cousin of my husband's in Wisconsin. She's got this little teeny shop. She lives in a town of like 3000 people. Um, She's killing it in this store. And this whole thing forced her to build a website on the fly. She did it very quickly, threw it together She's been putting little how-to-knit kits on her front door for free. They have, they, you know, people, she put a hundred of them out there, I think, and they disappeared within 30 minutes or something ridiculous like that. Um, she's got, she's doing like how to make a hat little videos and hat on Instagram and on Facebook. And she is, as she says, she's a survivor and she's like, I will do whatever it takes. And so it is forcing her to be agile and creative and to really dig deep, and these are all things that's going to make her so much stronger once this is lifted. Um, it's unbelievable to see the ingenuity and the creativeness that's coming out of a lot of the people that didn't have websites, you know, and didn't have other options. So most of the yarn shop owners that I'm talking to, honestly, are they're doing they're all right, you know. They're figuring out how to be a little more digital. They're figuring out. Um, how to build community in a different way and the customers and the knitters and the crocheters and the weavers have just been so unbelievably supportive. You know, it's really, really interesting um, and a really beautiful thing. So, uh, well, yeah, I, for us, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you know, Jimmy beans is doing just fine. Um, we're doing all right. Madeline Tosh is not doing that great, but Jimmy Beans is doing well enough um, to support the Madeline Tosh side. So I think we'll be, you know, we'll be okay. Good. I mean, 
I'm so glad. I mean, you've got three great new brands there as well that would love to see continue on. Now, one of the one of the great one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is um, I know that you're a researcher, and uh, I know that you've done a great deal of research on programs for small businesses and creatives and sole proprietors and uh, you, you know and what they can do. Uh, and how they can find resources to help themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you got it. Um, yes, no, I'm super passionate about it. Uh, you know, the first couple weeks um, and up to about the end of last week, I mean, I probably spent six hours a day, you know, just reading and reading and reading and trying to find out, you know, what is available? How is this going to impact all of us? What do we do? What do our employees do? Um and what do the sales reps do? You know, those they're dependent on selling stuff to yarn shops. And so if yarn shops aren't buying, the sales reps aren't making a living. The sale, you know, and the yarn shops aren't making a living and the wholesalers aren't making a living. Um, so as I was researching all this and finding different places, we actually built a page on the Madeline Tosh site um, to list a bunch of different articles that, that are kind of curated um, for people who are interested in trying to find some relief. Um, and I just, there were a couple of tips, you know, obviously we, now we all know about this PPP, the payroll protection program. Um, you know, we all know about the emergency disaster loans. Um, some of us know about the, uh, the payroll tax credits, you know, so if somebody gets sick or if someone, the FMLA that is in place, if you, if your child, if you have a child at school age and their school has been shut down, which is pretty much everybody, the benefits that are required to go along with that and the payroll tax credits that a company can get as a result of those. So we've put all of that stuff on the Madeline Tosh site. Um, it's MadelineTosh.com, pages, COVID-19, small business relief. I mean, we can share that. But Yeah, we'll share that um, in the what, uh, show notes. Yeah. yeah what, um, what I think is the most interesting <clears throat> in the way the creative side of me, you know, and the person who – paid their way through college, um, and I've always been kind of scrappy this way, um, the one thing that people may not think about is using Google and Google Alerts. So if you go to alert.google.com, you can have Google email you every day um, articles that pop up based on search terms. So what I put in, um, for me, because we're in Nevada, so I put Nevada, small business, you know, um, COVID, and then grant and I put all those words in there. And so every day, or I put in women-owned business, you know, COVID grant, and put those words in there. And every day, grants pop up that companies are giving um, based on either location, based on the fact that you're a woman-owned small business, um, maybe you're in a marginalized group. There are so many grants out there, and so many people are giving back that it just becomes a matter of you finding all these grants that you're eligible for. Most of them are about $10,000 grants, um, but it's like scholarships. You know, you put together an application and you say, this is why I deserve to receive one of these grants. And once you put one application together, then usually you can use that same kind of application and tweak it a little bit for all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different ones. There's a great site called Hello Alice. That's got all kind, you know, has tons of resources and tons of grants, but there's tons of money out there and tons of support. You just have to research and find it. And I believe very, very, very strongly 
based on my experience in the past, that yarn shops, designers, sales reps, anybody in this industry um, should be represented in these grants. And I think that our industry and our craft is so timeless, and it's such a critical part of the fabric, you know, if you will, of our world that we're a shoe-in to win some of these grants. You know, the people I, who I, are I, awarding I, these, they're going to... Yes, I agree. Oh, um, you know, and no, I was, I was going to say I agree. I think the stories, um, you know, whether you're a designer or um, in a business, we, and we've talked about this before, it, it, it's, with a very few exceptions, almost everybody in this industry um, is a family, and the business is probably... The average, I would say, what, three to five people? Yeah. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, yep. your, no, your organization is, is, pretty, is pretty large. Uh, my organization is a little larger than the most. There's, there's 10 of us, but only 10 of us. And, and if you think about that, the story you're telling in that grant application is a story about a family business, which, you know, I've I got to yep. believe that, that that's got to be a, you know, a story that somebody's going to read through and appreciate. One hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, you know, bless the coffee shops and bless the restaurants and, you know, those guys are all going to get it, too. But this is a really unique niche industry um, that is going to deserve some attention. Um, And all of these grant recipients are going to get attention. So not only are you going to get money, but then that money, you know, when you win one, that leads to a press release. That leads to, you know, getting more attention and and blah, blah, blah. So I would highly, highly recommend. And I'm not applying for any of them because I want, you know, because I think that these should go to smaller um, shops you know, into the local yarn shops. Um, and I've been sending out every time I find one, if I find one in Philadelphia, I send it to our sales rep in Philadelphia and ask her to share it with all the shops in Philadelphia. You know, so I've been monitoring them by city and sending them out as, as much as I can. But they're so plentiful that I would really recommend that you tell your shop or, you know, or if you're a sole proprietor, you know, keep an eye on it. But these Google alerts, I mean, I think it's a hidden secret. Is a hidden secret? So Is that a hidden? I mean... Yeah. Or is the secret yeah. always hidden? Maybe that was... Well, yeah. I, I had anyway. never done it before, but I <laughs> started doing it since you and I had talked last. So we're, we've got to move yeah. on here so we don't run ourselves out of time. Let's talk about Beans for Brains. Uh, you, it was something you started yeah. a long time ago. You brought it back in. And, you know, t- tell the world about Beans for Brains because we've got some deadlines coming up regarding that. And I, I think it's important that our that our listeners hear about this. Yeah. Um, you know, I paid my way through college, all four universities, <laughs> um, and got scholarships. And like I said, I'm a little scrappy and was always looking for scholarships that were interesting and unique. Um, and so one of the promises I kind of made myself when we started the shop was that I wanted to be able to give back um, and help people who have worked really hard, who have a great GPA, who've done community service and blah, 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 but help them through school. Um, and school doesn't necessarily mean classic four-year university anymore. I mean, it could be, um, you know, it could be nursing school, it could be dental school, it could be cosmetology school, but somebody who is attending post-secondary education and somebody who's contributing to our community, meaning knitting, crochet, weavers, So it's a merit-based scholarship program. Um, We ran it for a couple of years, gave out about $50,000, and then had to take a break for a few years, you know, because we were in survival mode and just simply didn't have 
the manpower to read all the applications. I mean, the very first year we got 3,500 applications. Um, so we're bringing it back this year. This year we have six scholarships. They're all 2,500 bucks each. They we have four regions. Um, so we've got the South. Um, which Madeline Tosh is sponsoring. We've got the Midwest, which the Stitches events are sponsoring. Thank you, Ben. Um, we've got the Northeast, which Vogue Knitting is sponsoring. The West, Shibui is sponsoring. And then we have a local award to Reno, because that's very important to us. And then we have a community service award, which Knitter's Pride is sponsoring. Um, so it's for people who knit, crochet, and weave. Uh, each of the scholarships is $2,500. Um, and then our applications went live on March 2nd. Uh, the applications opened on April 1st, and the applications close at the end of this month. And then the winners will be notified in early June. So, yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, you know, the timing, again, is very interesting. But maybe the timing is better than ever because if you need some money, you knit or crochet, and you're going to be going to school in the fall, then give us a holler, you know, and, and take a look at this. So let's talk about who can apply. Uh, and what kind of schools okay. this qualifies for. So um, sure. who can apply? Who can apply? Anybody who knits, crochets, weaves um, is going to go to a school in the U.S., uh, any kind of post-secondary education. Um, you could be any age, you know. I mean, that's part of you, – you could be just getting out of high school or you could be somebody who's my age and is going to go back to nursing school, you know, or go back to school somewhere. So – um, it doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is that you've got some community service, you've got some financial need, you have a great GPA, um, you know, and that you've kind of worked your ass off. You know, that's what's that's what's most important to us. That's a good answer. That's a fantastic answer. So again, just to remind everybody, um, the applications are live, right? They're, they're open and, they and, and they're, the applications close at, at the end of this month, correct? They do, April 30th. Yes, the application okay. closes. And so, we will post the link for like everybody... Brains. Yeah, we'll post the link for Brains for Brains in the show notes as well for everybody. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, you can go to jimmybeanswool.com slash beans for brains um, or just Google beans for brains. There aren't that many of them out there. I mean, my intent, you know, at the beginning, because I couldn't find any knitting-related college scholarships. And I'll say college. I'm using the term college, you know, relatively loosely. But, um, right. you know, I wanted this to really be the knitting college and crochet and weaving, the yarn-related college scholarship fund and the biggest one in the world. And I, I think it is. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, yeah, we well, invite all kinds of applications. Good, fantastic. Yeah, me neither. So, so you know, again, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of this as well. Uh, we were very honored to be asked, and uh, you know, it's it's just a great thing. So, um, oh, we can do thank this you. For, for, oh, it's always fun to work with you. It, it's always been fun to work with you. Um, so, one of the things we talked about before she 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 doesn't take a compliment well, folks. I'm just letting you know. Um, so. <laughs> I was like, really, always? Do you really want to use that always? Come on, there's got to be one time where I, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't. I can't think of a, a thing. No, I mean, you know, you're, you're funny. Mm. I mean, I like to think you're yeah. funny. Hey, but... looks aren't everything. That's yeah, what my that's. Uh, to say. Hey, I'm, I'm the one that says I have a face made for radio, so you don't get to steal my line yeah, here. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we 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 talked about um, 
some of the challenges that you know creative organizations have and 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 we talked about it being very hard sometimes with to well, to look within our own industry and find examples of things we should do again and and you and I had conversations about the various places we go. Can you talk about where you get your inspiration and where you get some of your ideas? Yeah, totally. Um, I Both Doug and I, um, Doug is very into, we look at the, the other industries that we're kind of interested in and we're constantly absorbing. And this is how we started the shop to begin with. I mean, when we started the online store, um, back in 2002, it was really based on the frustrations that we had had when we would order from other people. So we would place an order from somebody back in 2001, let's say, and then, you know, the order just went into this black hole and you'd have no, I'd have no idea, like, is, did they get it? Is it going to ship? When is it going to ship? You know, blah, 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 blah. So it's the same thing for our our business now, we take a look at, you know, Doug plays the guitar and he plays the drums um, and he does a lot of mountain biking and road biking and skiing. So he's constantly looking at those industries. And when he sees something that he really likes, you know, he sees the way somebody did an instructional drumming video, then he'll pass it over to us. And we take a look at it and we're like, okay, how can we do something like this? How can we take what was so cool about this and apply it to knitting? So, we're always kind of looking around. Um, for me, it's, you know, if I go to the mall, um, I'm, a, I'm a runner, so, well, or I was a runner, I guess, or I should say I ran. Um, so I'm looking at Athleta, I'm looking at Nike, I'm looking at New Balance, um, and I'm seeing what these guys do. And then I look at the beauty industry a lot because I feel like, you know, I look at Sephora, I look at Derm Store, Glossier, I feel like beauty is very similar to knitting in that you can never have too many red lipsticks. You know, you can never have too many balls of red yarn. I mean, it's the same kind of consumable inspiration. It's all about beauty. It's all about playing. It's all about color. So I look at what they're doing and then I read, you know, I read a ton. Um, I try to read a book a week. Uh, It's been a little different lately since we bought Madeline Tosh. But um, even if that means I go out on the trails with the dogs and I listen to a book on tape. And so I listen to books um, from basketball coaches. You know, I listen to books from people like Richard Branson, uh, you know, other other business owners, past and present. Right now I'm reading a book about uh, – about Thomas Edison and Tesla and um, Westinghouse, which is really fascinating. And so I just kind of listen to those things and, and try to learn from their mistakes is a big part of it. Um, for me, a lot of inspiration is just courage. It's, you know, we all have, I have a ton of ideas, but I get scared that they're going to fail or that somebody's going to think they're dumb. So I need kind of to hear from other people that even if people think you're, what you're doing is dumb, that you should try it anyway, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. So that's kind of where I get it. Coffee shops, bookstores, you know, just other shops that have community feeling. Um, I look and see what they're doing and let's see if we can apply it. Does that uh, make just sense? As a, yes, very much. Just as a parenthetical. So uh, obviously the name of your, your company, Jimmy Beans Wolves, okay, Wolf, we get uh, beans obviously was from the coffee part of it. Where, where did yes. Jimmy come from? Oh, <laughs> Jimmy is from a, when I first met Doug, 
we were listening to, I had just gotten this album. My dad was living in Austin at the time and I bought an album from a guy named Todd Snyder. And I grew up in North Carolina, as I mentioned, and lived in a trailer house for, you know, when I was younger. And then when I was in college, I also lived, I bought a trailer, a single white trailer and um, really embraced the trailer park lifestyle. So, uh, we were listening to the song from Todd Snyder called double wide blues. And it was about this guy who was the most popular dude in the trailer park um, because he had a pool. He had a blue plastic pool on his back deck and he was the only one in the whole trailer park. And so um, in the song, somebody, you know, Doug would always just be like, man, you're cool like Jimmy. And so he just started calling me Jimmy. I thought it was a compliment at the time, but now I realize he was just making fun of me a little bit. Uh, so he has called me Jimmy ever since we've been together. His friends all called me Jimmy. Everybody called me Jimmy. So that was just my nickname. Um, he's only called me Laura like a couple times, which we're, we won't talk about. <laughs> I'm, I got in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Laura Elizabeth. Yeah. It's happened. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm married. I've gotten the double name thing too. I know what that means. I really do. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He says that he's, you know, for the record, he says that he's raising both Huck and I. Um, only Huck has now surpassed me in maturity because Huck's 10 now. So apparently I got stuck at about five years old, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I, I think you're incredibly smart and, and, and interesting, but so let's, um, let, let's wrap up here. Let's talk about the future and, 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 and what you think are some of the positives that we can see in the future? Oh, my gosh. Well, for, this, for our industry, for the yarn industry, um, I hate to say it. I hate to say that there's a silver lining. You know, I'm eternally optimistic uh, and really feel like right now, given what is going on, could potentially be the best thing that's happened to the yarn industry in years. You know, again, go look at, um, and and I hate to say this, but for some shop owners, this is really going to force their creativity. This is really going to force them to think outside the box um, and to really hustle. And what I've been seeing from my cohort and from fellow yarn shop owners is is magical. You know, the creativity and the new ways to develop community are unbelievable. Um, and I think that a lot of us, and I know that there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and so I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, but if I, you know, if I have to paint a silver lining, what it is, is we're going to see some phenomenal, like agility, some phenomenal changes in some of the shops, um, and some phenomenal strength come out of it. And we're going to see a resurgence. You know, I mean, one, we know it. Once people start to knit, you know, all these people are learning how to knit. And once they start, they can't stop. You know, they're going to get hooked. Knitting, I keep saying knitting, but, I mean, I, in fact, I actually learned how to cro- I crocheted first. I crocheted for years before I learned how to knit. Um, but knit's just one syllable, so it's easier to say. Yes, yes. I, I, I occasionally, yes. you know, I, and I always try to go into, say, fiber arts uh, if I possibly can, so because I, I get, you but know, three but, syllables. But yeah, I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody wants, nobody wants a pandemic, and nobody wants people to be hurt. Nobody wants anybody to to, to die. I mean, no. obviously, this is not optimal at all. But I, it does feel to me like 
there is a broadening of the way that people are talking to each other and they're they're so open and it's it's a yes. more kind Forgiving. of earnest conversation online yeah like it's not so poised yeah. uh and 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 yeah. um and you know and it's you know it's like uh okay you know let's watch me you know do this for you know 15 minutes and it's maybe a lot of silence while somebody does something you know, it's not quite so rehearsed. It's it's actually pretty um, yep. genuine, and I kind of like it. It's very scrappy. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I just I really feel like, like just this is the time to test. Just test stuff out because people are forgiving. They do recognize. Hey, we're just. I, you know what? I mean, Ben. Right now, I'm sitting in my closet. You know, because it's the quietest spot, and my dogs aren't going to come in and run. And um, we're all kind of in our closet. You know, or we're, we're wherever we can be. Maybe we're in our garage or we're just in a corner somewhere, and that's okay. And that gives us a lot of freedom to test stuff out and not worry as much if it's going to fail. Because um, it's not about failure. It's just about trying things out. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can't wait for this to be over, and I can't wait for the threat to be gone from from everybody. Um, but, um, you know, if we are we are learning things the new normals um you know for an introvert like me this is not as hard as it could of course i worry as you know i'm a worrier a big worrier but uh yeah, yeah. no the whole i mean I, I the whole idea of you know i can stay home and binge watch netflix and i'm saving lives is, is a wonderful thing i've been training for this my whole life so <laughs> i'm, I'm... <laughs> wow yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's great. Um, no, I got to say, I'm so impressed by this industry um, and the strength and the way people have been dealing with it is unbelievable. So I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be part of this. That's, you know, a, that's really a wonderful. Am. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful way. And we're, we're going to leave it with that. So um, I, I want to thank you again for uh, being on the show. Um, this was just really wonderful to talk to you um you are a delightful guest and uh i hope uh somewhere down the future you'll agree to come back on the show yeah that's fine yeah yeah you got it yeah Yeah, if you keep saying nice things like that i'll totally be come on here again you know i i absolutely (laughs) bought um so (laughs) (laughs) great thank you for being here and uh is, is there anybody you want to do a quick shout out to while we're on the air Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, pressure. Well, Libby, um, Libby Butler, Libby Butler Gluck. She's the one who put all this beans for brains together and my whole team. I mean, they are just working their asses off, you know, and just really embracing this and, and trying so hard. Um, and I'm just so grateful. And I hate to say, I, you know, I don't want to sound all like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely like really grateful. I wake up every day, really grateful. Um, so yeah. Oh, so, thank that's you. That's very nice. No, thank you very much. You have yeah. a great day. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. That was Laura Zander, one of the smartest people I know. You can find out more about all the things we've talked about and some of the links that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And we're going to put those up on fiberhooligan.com within the next day or two. Next week for 2020, my guest will be Louis Borga, a.k.a. Brooklyn Boy Nets. Louis, 
whose pronouns are he and him, is a self-taught fiber artist who has been in the industry for 12 years. In 2017, Lewis went viral after being photographed on a New York City subway by actress-singer Frenchie Davis. With his newfound fame, Lewis decided to use his social media platform to do something positive, so he began working with local New York's public schools, teaching children to knit. He has worked closely with campaigns such as Hat Not Hate, Cancer Awareness Programs at the New York Mount Sinai Hospital, and with the LGBTQIA young adults by promoting knitting as a therapeutic outlet. As well as working in the community, Lewis is a knitwear designer of both custom pieces and knitting patterns that range from style from in style from streetwear design to runway couture. In April 2019, Lewis did his first TEDx talk, Making the Most of Your move, Movement. Later that year, he became one of the founding members of the Soho Publishing Diversity Advisory Council, which was set up to address the lack of diversity and inclusion in the fiber arts industry. He has also taught at Stitches events and spoken as part of a diversity panel at Stitches Midwest 2019. Lewis believes in building up our community one stitch at a time. Uh, he is currently recovering from the uh, coronavirus, and so we are very hopeful that he will be well enough to talk to us next week. Uh, I'm, I'm so pleased to, that he's going to be on the show. Uh, I hope you will join us so you can hear from this remarkable and creative individual. I also want to make sure that you know that I'm eager to hear from you. You can email me questions, recommendations, critiques, and feedback at fiberhooligan at gmail.com. And that includes suggestions or for guests or other cool things you'd like me to highlight in the show. I don't promise to respond to every email or message, but I do respond, promise to do my best to read them all. If you ask a really great question or have an inspired idea, I may even read your email on the podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Laura Zander, for being on the show today and being so generous with their time. I'd like to thank the XRX crew uh, for encouraging me to start this podcast up, up again. I'd also like to thank Libby Butler-Gluck for all her, all her encouragement in and help in getting this podcast restarted. And I'd especially like to thank my dear wife, Krista, for always believing in me. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Well, that's our show, Farmer Hooligans. As we slide on out of here today, I'd like to wish you all a glorious week. Remember, the only thing better than being creative is being kind to each other. The good news, we can do both. Thank you for spending this time with us. We'll see you next week on another edition of Fiber Living.